0: So today, we're going to jump into the very first four chapters of this first letter to the church in Corinth. Uh, you've got Bibles there in front of you, in your pew, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll be there in the first four chapters for the duration of the morning this, uh, this morning. So this letter from Paul is one of his longer ones. It's 16 chapters. And it's going to be hard for us to do justice in five weeks, but Pastor Josh and I are going to do our best. And we'd love for you to try and read those chapters as we go along. So this week it would be the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. And we also would ask you to commit to be with us here for the entire series so that you can see a full picture of this letter to the church in Corinth. And Tim Mackey helped us a lot with the outline of this Bible study. So Corinth is a port city. It's a big economic center. This isn't a small little town somewhere. And like many cities that thrive on trade, they were diverse in their ethnicity, their religions, their moral codes. And Paul spent a year and a half there talking about Jesus, and he saw people become Jesus followers. And those Jesus followers formed a church. And the beginning of this actually happens in Acts chapter 18. See, Paul was a bivocational pastor, and he made his living making tents. And when he stopped in Corinth on his second missionary journey, he became acquainted with a husband and wife who were tent makers as well. Their names were Priscilla and Aquila. See, Paul leveraged his livelihood and his sphere of influence where he worked for the gospel. Now, Priscilla and Quilla were already followers of Christ, but Paul began to disciple them and train them, and they became leaders in the faith. And these two left to help Paul go and start other churches, and they eventually ended up in the city of Ephesus uh, and with a church in their home. But after Paul left Corinth, after witnessing there for a, a long time, he received reports that there was, things were not going well there in the church in Corinth. So he decided to write them a letter. And he most likely wrote this letter around A.D. 54 while he was ministering in Ephesus. So there was a worldliness that had entered this church in Corinth. They were not acting like Christians. And Paul addresses this and many other problems in this letter. But throughout this book there emerges a pattern. He defines a problem and then he responds with The gospel and that's a pretty good pattern for us to have as well in our lives when we notice something that makes us angry or anxious or bitter we follow those emotions to the real problem we define the problem why did what that person said make me angry Why did what, uh, you know, that dirty look that, why did that bother me so much? And the first step is to define the problem and look inside ourselves and see where the brokenness is and then respond with the gospel. Because our feelings are only the tip of the iceberg. We have to investigate what's going on underneath. We can't live just a shallow exterior life. We must investigate our interior. Why did I just flip out at that guy that cut me off on the highway Is that really that big of a deal? Or was somehow my pride wounded? Did I feel insecure about not getting the respect that I deserve? Where does that come from? What does the gospel say about this issue? Our emotions are a roadmap to the real hurt and brokenness inside of us. So we see Paul give us this pattern of defining the problem and then asking how the gospel responds to it. Because the gospel says, I am a sinner, saved by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. I am forgiven, and therefore I should forgive. And Paul's trying to teach this pattern to the church in Corinth to help them deal with their problems in a God-honoring way. Now, in this book, Paul also notices some good things that are going on in this church. But he also knew these problems weren't Uh, if they weren't fixed, they were going to cause real trouble in a church. This church had been together for quite a few years at this point. They should have been mature enough in their faith to avoid these issues. But the length of a time that a church is in existence doesn't necessarily mean that it knows how to stay on mission and deal with their problems in the right way. See, sometimes churches have life cycles, and they're born, and then they grow, and things are pretty good, and then people fall in love with things being good, and the concrete sets. And people want to stay exactly how they are, and they begin to stop moving and asking God what you want for us next. But see, at one point in the infancy of a church, that church understood that adaptation was important. And, and, and it's more important than the way they did things. And what was even more important was a loving God and reaching people. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago, right? Love God, love people, and go. But sometimes we get distracted by all the stuff. And something we start today may be something people fight about stopping tomorrow. I don't think it's a coincidence that these churches that Paul started 2,000 years ago aren't still thriving or existing today. I venture to say that the longer a church is in existence, the more it wants to fall in love with its own story and its own stuff. More than the story of the gospel and more than the people outside the walls. But just like the church in Corinth, we need to define our problems and respond with the gospel understand what's going on inside of us, and then apply the gospel to it. So the first problem that Paul identifies in the church of Corinth was the problem of division. Division in a church? That doesn't happen. That can't be right. You must be hallucinating. Let's look in chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment does that mean everybody agrees on what type of pizza is best no those are secondary things those are things that are not important right and it's a pizza palace in the mall place pizza place that's what's called that's the one so it doesn't matter let's all agree on that right now It's not about those secondary, tertiary things. It's about the main thing and the main purpose of a church. So here, though, it says reject divisions. You guys remember that Geico commercial where the NBA player Matumbo was rejecting everybody, right? Someone was throwing trash away and he swats it, laundry, tolls. He'd wag his finger at the end and say, ah, ah, ah. Well, a healthy church is going to approach problems head on, but reject division. And then you could say, ah, 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 at the end. We need to be able to spot when someone's just going around and trying to convince everyone that there is a problem and cause strife and division. Why? Not because the church is perfect, but because the mission is too important to get bogged down in fights about secondary things. So, yes, we address problems and we speak up directly when we have disagreements to the people that we need to talk to. And then when a decision is made, we move on. We don't bring things up that happened 20 years ago. Instead, we pursue unity. And to pursue unity is not a passive thing. It is active. We have to chase unity, to run after unity, to hunt for unity. United in the same mind. But it's much easier and more natural to be in discord. Harmony is the miracle. So Paul is telling them we need to reject division and pursue unity. Here Paul tells us there's a way to have no divisions among us. Now, what was happening here in the church in Corinth is there was the division because people had started to pick their favorite teacher. Some said they were followers of Paul and others of and some of Peter. We see that in verse 11 when it goes on. He says, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. Chloe was someone that had a house church in her home. That there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, was well, that's another name for Peter, or I follow Christ. And Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The congregation of this church had begun to identify themselves with certain teachers, and they thought of themselves as an Apollos follower or a Peter follower. And then they began to think that they were better than people that followed another leader. They talked down about people that thought differently. And churches don't do this kind of stuff, right? We got past all this. See, they had a spirit of comp- uh, competition in the church of Corinth, but they were supposed to be on the same team, no divisions. We see that happen in churches where politics becomes part of it and two sides are in disagreement about something. And so they go around and they try and get a a, a quorum, not, not a quorum, that's not the right word, but you know what I'm trying to say. Get a group of people to agree with them so that they can fight the other group. And here it tells us there's a way, though, for us to have no divisions among us and that we can reject that. But it's much easier to follow people and hear people speak audibly, people that we can see, than just be a Jesus follower. And people are flawed. And even people that we think are good Christian leaders. But the church is not a popularity contest or some type of religious power struggle. The the church is a community of people centered around Jesus. And Paul says, look, I wasn't crucified for you, and neither was Apollos. Christ is the one that died for you. And you were baptized in his name, not in the name of Peter. So instead of following a person, follow Christ. And a spiritual person, a spiritual leader that is genuine will always point you to Christ, not themselves. And they're going to tell stories and give examples about how Christ is amazing and not how they are amazing. They're going to admit flaws and mistakes and say, you're right, I was wrong about that. Let's, let's see how we can fix this. They'll make it clear that the only things that are good in them are the things that Christ did. And they'll make it clear that they're not somehow better than the average person with some type of hidden knowledge that you can never attain to. But they're just a follower of Jesus like you are. A good spiritual leader points to Jesus only... And since we understand this about spiritual leaders, there's no reason for us to divide over one person who admires Billy Graham and another person who admires Billy Sunday. Both of those men would tell you, just admire Jesus. Paul says, my only calling and purpose is to preach Jesus Christ. And it's not about the eloquence of my delivery of this message, but it's about the beauty of the message itself. Verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul says, look, who baptized you is not important as the fact that you are a follower of Christ and you've accepted the message of the gospel. It's not about how eloquent I have spoken. The message of the cross, he says, doesn't need me. I need the message of the cross. It's all I have. Paul goes even further in the next verse, in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come to you proclaiming to the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness. And in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says, It wasn't my preaching that convinced you of the power of Jesus, it's the message of the gospel, and that alone. It wasn't my jokes, it wasn't my stories, it wasn't my preaching ability. But the Holy Spirit is what drew you to the message of the gospel. And Paul challenged this church. Don't follow men. Follow Jesus. And if you're anything like me and you've been in this church world for a long time, you could probably rattle off preachers that have committed some type of gross sin. People that you used to admire and you used to look up to. And if you put your faith in people, you're going to be disappointed. But Jesus will never disappoint you. And Paul goes on to tell them to trust in Jesus and to be led by the Spirit for the rest of chapter 2. And then he gets back to the different types of division in chapter 3. Have you ever wanted to look at two adults and say, Y'all are being babies. Have you ever wanted to do that? Literal infants. Infants. If I could, I'd give you a binky and a little bonnet and a rattle, because that's exactly what you're doing. As you can tell, I've often wanted to say that. (laughs) To be fair, I've also been the baby, though. Paul here says the same thing. And by the way, he just comes out and says it to the whole church. He says, I wish I could talk to y'all like adults, but y'all are being babies. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is je- jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul says, and you can see the sarc- uh, sarcasm just trip all over these verses, right? He says, hey, baby, do you want your bottle? You want some mushed carrots? You're a church member in Corinth here. You're driven by the flesh, though. And you cry when you're hungry instead of feeding yourself. And you're jealous when someone else has something good happen to them. And you set out to cause fights because you aren't getting your way. You're not motivated by the Spirit, but by your wicked." flesh we've probably seen this in the church and we've seen somebody cause strife and quarrels that has nothing to do with the spirit and the spirit's purpose they're driven by the flesh at this point they should have been more mature but paul still had to talk to them about these basic things and they weren't ready for the deep things that god had for them because they were still swimming in the baby pool And their lack of uh, maturity caused them to latch on to human leaders to tell them what to do rather than following Jesus themselves. And they didn't want to listen to the Holy Spirit themselves and they wanted to follow a man instead. There's no reason for this type of division in the church. It was off-base and it was unfocused on the priorities. It had the spirit of competition in the church but they're supposed to be on the same team. It doesn't matter if you like Paul better than Apollos or you're mad at Peter's followers because they think a little bit differently. All those leaders were church leaders that were good leaders and they had good theology and they played a part in what the church was doing. And some helped plant the seed of the gospel and some helped water. But God is the one that makes things grow. Someone laid the foundation and someone built the walls and someone else put on the roof. So stop fighting who is better. God is responsible for it all. This next part gets scary. Ready? Paul then warns them about the danger of trying to defy the church and cause strife. In chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. He's talking to this church. He says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple. This thing called the church is God's. It's not yours. It's not mine. The church is a group of people where God dwells. Where two and three are gathered. He is in the midst. And if you set out... To cause division in the church, there is a dire warning right here. God doesn't take kindly to your attempt to destroy what is His. God's people, the church, is His. and God defends what is His. And you might look around and believe that everyone should be following you because you have the experience and the wisdom, and you've got little bits of wisdom to give everybody. And people should listen to your expertise. Verse 18 goes on. He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. God rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He tells us the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And the wisest person in the room is the one that humbles themselves and put their pride on the shelf and listens for the wisdom of God. They had a spirit of competition in this church in Corinth. They were supposed to be on the same team. Supposed to all be going in the same direction, understanding the mission and pointing themselves toward it it and going and getting on board and going in the same direction. And the spirit of competition is still in churches today. We've probably all seen it at some point or another. If I don't get my way, I'm going to get mad. instead of ever giving up getting over it, I'm going to go and try and get other people mad too, and distract them from the most important things. But there's another way to live. It doesn't have to be like that. a way that's much more fulfilling, in a way that there is joy and blessing and happiness. And it has a much longer view of life than the right now, this thing that I can't get over. God is in control. And I don't have to claw and tear people for my way. I don't have to force people to agree with me. I can let go and let God and have faith that God will do what he wants to do. But there's fear in letting go of control. Everything will fall apart if I don't make it happen. If people don't do things my way, then things are just going to crumble. But you're not in control. You can't add one inch to your height. I've tried. You can't add one hour to your life. You don't have to cause division when people are not listening to you. Paul's better. No, Apollos is better. No, you're wrong. No, you're the worst. Things don't have to go down like that. The spirit of competition hurts the church. Recently, we've seen a couple teams in the sports world where in the huddle, they start fighting each other, right? But That's what we've done in churches. But there is peace and joy when we let go of my way and we let go of the past and we give it over to God and have faith that God is going to see it through. So this is how the gospel responds to the problem of division. Follow your emotions to your heart problems. Define the problem. Figure out what it is. Do internal investigation. If you find yourself... Uh, spouting out with different emotions and you're not even sure where they're coming from, anxiety or fear or anger or bitterness. Investigate what's going on and then respond with the gospel. Apply the healing balm of the gospel to your problems. Stop following men and instead follow Jesus. Put your wisdom to the side and follow Jesus. Humble yourself and follow Jesus. We must reject division and pursue unity because we're all on the same team. But we live in a divided world. You look at society and you look at politics and immediately, if you disagree with me about anything, you're evil. I'm a saint and you're evil. That's not how Christians are supposed to be. We're supposed to understand that really, without Christ, I'm evil, right? And you might be wrong too, and you might be a sinner too, but we're just two sinners here that have accepted Jesus Christ. And I'm not better than you. My ideas are are my ideas, but what's found on God's word is what we can trust. We must reject division and pursue unity. Because this thing called the church is His, And he has called us to proclaim his name to the world. We have a mission. We have a purpose. So we got to stop getting distracted. We got to reject division like Matumbo. Google it later if you don't know who Matumbo is. Come on, help me out here. And chase unity. Next week, Josh is going to cover the next uh, section of this. Be here for it read these first few chapters verse uh, chapter 1 through 4 and let god speak to your heart don't put up the defenses search your heart is there a possibility my attitude has been wrong all the people that i might disagree with and i might be mad about what if what if i don't know everything what if i'm instead of characterizing that thing and that person as evil instead i'm curious why they think the way they do but never compromising on God's word there's first priorities and then there's secondary things every head bowed and eyes closed This book of 1 uh, Corinthians has so much in it and, it, and it just it knows how to talk to us as a church. And I love preaching through books of the Bible like this because it forces us to talk about things that maybe we don't want to talk about. It also helps us to prepare for when something like this might happen in the future. But it searches our heart. Maybe the division for us in our life is not so much with our church family, but our actual family. And we've allowed things that aren't the most important to separate us from a family member Division kills us. A house that's divided can't stand. Why don't you search your heart right now? As I've searched my heart every time I read over this message and prepare this message and read these verses, let's search our hearts this morning and ask God where we might be causing division because if we can have this thing called supernatural unity we put the past behind us we put our opinions to the side the ones that aren't based on god's word and we lift up the mission in front of us all and we run towards loving god loving people and going Every time we get distracted, we remember those things. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. That that's what needs our attention because we live in a hopeless world. And if we're fighting in the huddle, there's no hope. Dear every Father, God, as you search our hearts today, God, if there's anyone that's holding on to some division in the past, anyone that's feeling it now or is tempted to take steps to cause some type of fight God I don't know of anything God but you know our hearts and sometimes it's me God I pray you'd search us God help us to reject division and pursue supernatural unity that only comes through living through the power of your Holy Spirit because your word tells us that how those around us are going to know that we're your disciples is by our love for one another. God, we love you. God, search our hearts. Maybe you're here for the first time and you've heard us talk today about the gospel and applying the gospel. Gospel is simply the good news, and the good news is that two thousand years ago, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came and walked among us. And why did He come? He came because there was a problem. The beginning of time, man chose his way over God's way. We call that sin, and sin broke us. And in uh, flooded pain and strife and hurt and all sorts of death and disease. For thousands of years, people tried to work their way to God and with no success. And at the perfect time, God came to us. His name was Jesus. Jesus. He lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years so that an innocent person could die for all of us guilty people. And he was raised up on a cross and innocently crucified. The Bible says he became sin who knew no sin in order that we might become the sons of God. Jesus took on all my sin and all the times I chose my way over his way. The lies and the wicked thoughts agreed jesus took all my sin on him and he died in my place bible tells us the wages of our sin is death we deserve death in a place called hell but god commended his love towards us and while we were yet sinners christ died for us jesus died in your place that's the gospel But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, bringing our salvation with him. And if you can't go back to a time and a place where you understood this message, this gift, you put your faith, not in your good works or church membership or baptism or anything like that, but you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only means of salvation. If you can't go back to a time and a place, why don't you do that today? You need to understand you're a sinner. You need to know that there's a penalty for your sin. That Jesus paid the price. He paid the penalty in your place. And you simply have to accept it. Put your faith on Him as the only means of your salvation. Words aren't important. You can call out to God right now. But as we sing, why don't you ask yourself, have I done that? Has there been a time and a place where I chose Jesus... And if you make that choice today, I want to encourage you to write that down on your connection card. I chose Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship, God, I pray you search our hearts. God, I pray you bring a supernatural unity to Clarksburg Baptist Church so that we might fulfill your mission and be the church you want us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.